Cummings is Culture, episode 17. And today we have a very special guest with, with us today. He is the Secretary of State of Alabama, Mr. John Merrill. John, how are you? Jimmy, I'm delighted to be with you, brother. Thank you so much for ha- having me as your guest today. Well, I appreciate you for taking the time, coming all the way up here from Montgomery. Um, I got something a few minutes ago, well, about an hour ago, as a press release. And it says, Tuesday, October the 5th, Montgomery, it has been communicated to the office of the Secretary of State that various citizens from Russellville are concerned about election processes for the municipal runoff elections scheduled for October 6, 2020. Now, it says you've been in contact with the local municipal leadership in Russellville. Not only that, we have an election observer here that's been here all day. He was here when the polls opened, and he'll be here till the polls close. And I'm actually going to um, go check out the polling sites when I leave you today. Oh, so okay. that is accurate. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um. Well, what were their concerns? Well, I think there were a number of people who were concerned that some of the issues related to the contest that happened August the 25th resulted in the tie. Uh, They felt like there were some ballots that were disqualified that Mm -hmm. probably shouldn't have been. There were some uh, election officials who were not as impartial as they should have been, and so they wanted to make sure that those things were actually dealt with and that there were no issues related to the successful administration of the election. And so we've been in touch with all of our people up here since that time, have full confidence in the ability of the clerk and of the city to properly administer the election, but it's incumbent on us whenever these things are introduced to us to make sure we fully and properly investigate them so that there are no concerns for any citizens at any level. Well, you have a hashtag that you use a lot on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere. Easy to vote and, and hard, hard to, to cheat. cheat. That's exactly right. Let me ask you about that. Yeah. Now, the mail-in process. Yeah. All right. Now, the president yeah. has been critical of mail-in vote. He has. Okay. How can you ensure the people of Alabama that the president should be okay with mail-in voting in Alabama? Well, the president is not concerned about Alabama. Okay. Just like he's not concerned about Florida where he votes because he's mm-hmm. already voted by mail. The president is concerned about these states that have what he calls unsolicited voting by mail, what I call universal vote by mail. So let me explain to you what the difference is. Five states in the union that have universal vote by mail, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Utah, and Hawaii. The three states that do it best are Oregon, Colorado, and Washington. The people who administer the elections in those states will tell you that in order to initiate the universal vote-by-mail effort, you need to have your ballots being currently returned by mail at a 60% rate. Mm -hmm. So the people who are listening to your podcast and you and your lovely wife are sitting here thinking, well, where's Alabama in this process? We're at 4%. So we're 56% away from even having the conversation. Now, the other thing that they'll tell you is that to successfully administer a universal vote-by-mail effort in your state, you need a five-year implementation process. Not five months, five years. 
And some of these states think they could pick this thing up in March or April, and then by November, they're going to be good to go. Well, they're not. And so what we've done is we've tried to help them understand what they need to do, which is to use their current laws, respond to their citizens' requests and needs based on their current law, and ensure they're following the letter and the spirit of the law. That's what we're doing in Alabama. Now, there's a third component that I hadn't heard anybody talk about. The only person I've heard talk about it at all is me. And the first time it was introduced on CNN was by me. And that was when Anderson Cooper was interviewing me probably, now it's been probably a month ago. He asked me some questions about vote by mail. And I said, Anderson, something you need to know about election cost in Alabama one segment of the election, a primary, the runoff, the general, that's three segments for one cycle. Each segment costs $5.5 million per segment. So for a full cycle, it's $16.5 million. One segment of universal vote by mail would mean that all 3,672,159 registered voters in our state would have a ballot mailed to them whether they wanted it or not. And the cost would be $18.5 million for one segment. $18.5 million. Hmm. Now, the difference is what we're currently doing is $16.5 million. Universal vote by mail would be $60 million. Now, Jeremy, look, even a career bureaucrat in Montgomery or Washington can think of a better way to waste $44 million than that. <laughs> Let me ask you about online voting, because that's something I sure. get a lot about. Sure. Now, online <clears throat> online voting, would it not be safer than universal vote by mail? Because you could require through an app, a state-run app, that would cost probably six, dollars $700,000 to develop the app. Now, that's not distribution. That's not paying the people to, you know, that's just basic, I believe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. After yeah, time. but look, this is the thing. I think your concept is not far-reaching. Yeah. Okay? I think it's possible that something like that could be done. But not today. And this is why. We still have some issues related to the use of applications in the mobile phone. Yeah. And we have some concerns related to ballot type where you may say, okay, I live in Russellville Mm -hmm. and I vote at the community center. Well, your app would have to tell you which ballot type you receive because you don't think about ballot types. For example, if you lived in Phil Campbell, Mm -hmm. then you would not have the same ballot for county commission that they have in Russellville. You would not have the same municipal ballot that they have in Phil Campbell. You'd have different ballots based on where you live. So... You have to make sure, you've, in, in the instance you gave me as that example, two-factor authentication mm-hmm. at least that would give you access to using this instrument mm-hmm. to allow you to be, and for those that are not able to see us, I picked up my phone and showed Jeremy <laughs> as the instrument, is that we would be able to know it's you that's actually using your phone yeah. to cast your ballot for the candidate of your choice. You know, I can tell from you responding to me the way you did on universal vote by mail, one of the concerns you would have is not that this would happen in Russellville or Bell Green or Silas or Phil Campbell or Red Bay, but 
There are some places in our state where if those ballots were dropped off by the postal worker, mm-hmm. that afternoon there'd be a pickup truck going down the road, taking those ballots out of the mailbox and voting for the candidate of that person's choice or the one that was being paid to do it as opposed to the voter themselves. So there are some things that we can do. Now, you, you called it electronic voting when we started, mm-hmm. but what you need to know is we already allow our military servicemen and women to cast a vote uh, electronically. They yeah. cast their ballot electronically. We were the first state in the union to have electronic ballot delivery and electronic ballot return. So I'm proud of where we are. I'm not saying that what you're talking about will not happen one day, but that day is not the next day. It's going to be a while. There's got to be a lot of things done to change that process. Another thing, if you get into a situation where you've got a recount Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get everybody to verify that they participated in the process, you've got a voter list now with signatures where people have come to a polling place and signed in, either through the electronic poll book using a stylus pen or paper copy using a hard book to do so, and then you've got the paper ballot that you retain. If you don't have the paper ballot, I mean, the race that we got right here between uh, Darren Woodruff and uh, William Nail, William Nail, that race ended in a tie. Yeah. On August the twenty fifth. Yeah. So because of that, they had to go back and check it out again, and the tie resulted in an additional runoff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got other comments about that. I don't think that's the way to do it is to have another runoff when you well, got a tie. They were saying that they was going to have the city council vote on that, mm-hmm. and I've got a big problem with that. Well, because that's probably going to favor one candidate over the other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and because of that, we want it to be fair. So I think what is going to happen in, in the instance that we're talking about is whichever candidate got out and worked harder mm-hmm. in that six-week period between August 25 and today, that's the one that's going to win tonight. But we're going to take this to the legislature, and we're going to change the law on having a runoff on a tie in municipal contest. You don't do that in the primary. You don't do that in a runoff, and you don't do that in the general election. That's not the way you end that election in state law with all the other races. Municipal contests the only place that happens. What would your solution be to that problem? Well, what you need to do is to make sure you're following the same situation that you have in those other races. So the first thing you do is you have an automatic recount because you, you can't even request a recount in municipal contest. That's not available. That's not a provision of the law. So if you win or lose by one vote, there's no recount. If you tie, there's no recount. You just have another runoff. And the first thing you need to do is to say if you're within one-tenth of one percent of the vote, you automatically have a runoff, just like you do in the general election in November, whether it's the off-year election or whether it's presidential election. Second thing is that if you do have a tie when you're through, then you need to end the result through a game of chance. That's the way you, it says it in the code in the Constitution. Yeah. We had a sheriff in Clay County that was elected in 2018 on a coin flip. 
Now, I wouldn't say, let's just have a coin flip. If yeah. it were me, I'd say, let's do the best out of three, okay? Or let's draw the high card, best out of three. Or let's do rock, paper, scissors, best out of three. But yeah. whatever we're doing, we need something that's a game of chance so it's fair to everybody. They had one coin flip. The one that won called it. The one that didn't call it, he lost, and he never had another chance at recourse. And that guy's a sheriff for that county right now. His name is Jim Sutter. Dang. So all the laws need to be the same. That's my solution. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that because I don't understand why the city council, like that was the thing that was talked about, that the city council is going to get a vote. That's corruptness. To me, that is corrupt. It breeds, it breeds a sense of concern from people who are not directly involved because they're going to believe that, especially if there's an incumbent involved, like yeah. there is in this race, yeah. you, they're going to believe that the people that already serve with that incumbent are going to be more inclined to support that incumbent because they believe if it were them, he or she would do the same thing for that person. And so they're going to be hesitant to accept that as an authentic way to solve the problem. So that's not, of course, that's not an option right now, but... Now, do you see mail-in voting becoming a, a feature, like a staple here in Alabama, in a post-COVID Alabama? Well, look, I think we need to review the laws related to absentee voting. Mm -hmm. You know you can vote absentee in person, or you can vote absentee by mail. Yeah. And I think that reviewing the process for absentee participation, especially through mail, it's something that should be done from time to time. Uh, we should not always just stay with the same patterns that we've always used just because that's the way we've always done it. Is that still the right and the best thing to do? When you were a little boy playing ball for Pilates, <laughs> the, the we could mail a letter from here and the post office, I just came by a few minutes ago, to Tuscaloosa today. It would be there tomorrow. Yeah. Now you mail it to Tuscaloosa, it will probably be there on Thursday, but it may be Friday before it gets there. That's a first-class envelope with a first-class stamp. That is a concern. The reason it's a concern for voting is because we have a short window. The last day to apply for an absentee ballot is October 29th. Mm. The last day for it to be returned, the ballot to be returned, has to be postmarked by November the 2nd and received by November the 3rd at noon. Now, you can return it now because we passed a law in 19 that you can return your ballot with FedEx, UPS, DHL, any other nationally or regionally recognized carrier. Mm -hmm. But everybody can't afford that. No. And everybody doesn't want to do that. So... We may need to extend the deadline and say, okay, now I'm not for this. One of the things you're seeing in other states is yeah. you're seeing people say, we'll leave the front end date like it is, and instead of your ballot having to be in on November the 3rd, it's got to be in by November the 10th. Well, I'm a big no on that. I say if we're going to change the dates, we change them the other way. So in this example, if we're adding another seven days, the last day to apply would be October 22nd. And then your ballot should still be returned by election day as it is right now. 
but you might have your deadline for the application come sooner rather than later. But don't extend the time for it to be returned. I mean, look, the time to be concerned about whether or not your ballot's going to be received on time mm-hmm. is not October the 25th or October the 28th or November the 2nd. It's October the 6th, October the 7th, October the 8th, when you can do something about it. Yeah. Because the candidates are not going to change, and the ballot's not going to change. So what are you waiting on? <laughs> Go ahead and vote today. Don't be waiting. Let me ask you something else. Now, I seen this yesterday. The AP ran a story about you and the stickers that are changing for the veterans. Now, tell everybody about that because everybody doesn't read the AP well, first of all. We are excited about this prog- uh, this process. We asked the Alabama Farmers Federation to help us with a project that will enable voters in Alabama when they want to go vote on November the 3rd, they can say, I'm voting in honor of a veteran. Mm -hmm. And what that means is when you go on election day, when they give you your I voted sticker, and everybody knows what that looks like, it's an outline of the state, then it has an American flag inside the state, and it says I voted, Mm -hmm. and then you wear it so people know you participate in the process. We'll still give you that sticker, but we have another sticker that's shaped like the state that says, I vote in honor of a vet. And so you can vote for a veteran of your choice, and they'll give you that other sticker. Now, if you want to take it another step farther, you can actually go to our website at alabamavotes.gov, and you can write a testimonial for a veteran that you admired, maybe somebody kin to you, somebody you loved, Mm -hmm. uh, daddy, mother, brother, sister, uh, granddaddy, uncle, whatever. And you can write that narrative, and when it's submitted, we will send you a lapel pen that says, I vote in honor of a veteran, and we'll send you a bumper sticker that says, I vote in honor of a veteran. And those are coming to you at no cost to the state. The Farmers Federation paid for the pens. Mm-hmm. Farmers Federation paid for the bumper sticker, and the Farmers Federation is paying for the postage for that to go to you. So they're the corporate sponsor for this effort, and we're excited about it because it raises awareness for voting and it honors veterans at the same time. Why is the other side of the aisle opposed voter ID? Well, I think the biggest problem is they need something to complain about because. They say that the voter ID component restricts voting participation. They're entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. What are the facts? The facts are, since January the 19th, 2015, we've broken every record in the history of the state for voter participation and voter registration. At the same time, the last six elections we've had, we've broken records for participation in presidential primaries, presidential generals, gubernatorial primaries, gubernatorial generals. I'm excited about that. We don't have a single person in any one of the 67 counties in this state that has ever been denied access to the ballot box because they didn't have the proper credential when they went to cast their ballot for the candidate of their choice. Not one person. Not one person. Not one person can be introduced to me that says they've had that problem. So 
they like to stir up that narrative. But you know who you don't hear talking about that? Who's that? You don't hear Alabama Democrats talking about it. You don't hear black leaders in our state pushing back against it. They know to what lengths we've gone to. They know that I have a crew that travels all over the state, all 67 counties every year, visiting these communities, producing IDs, and giving them to voters. They know we go to people's homes and do that. The people you see pushing back against it are liberal Democrats from other states in the union that say, Alabama's a vote suppressor. I mean, seriously? You know, they say that because of all this old talk. This is the truth. No state in the union can match what we've done in the last five years, eight months, and 16 days I've been Secretary of State. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Now, let me ask you something. Now, there's rumors about you. Did you know that? Mm. I've heard that. There's rumors that you're going to run for Shelby's seat when he retires. I've heard that. You're going to run for Shelby's seat, you're going to run for governor. Well, I have people talk to me every day about running for other offices. I can't run for this seat again in 22 because the Constitution in Alabama prevents a person that's holding the office that's being reelected to that office from running again. So when I'm through in this position, that'll be eight years. Mm -hmm. And I have to run for something else. So the three offices that people talk to me about the most often are, in no particular order, governor, lieutenant governor, and the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. And I was in the U.S. Senate race that Tuberville won the nomination for yep. for about 10 minutes because <laughs> I got in June the 25th and I got out right after Thanksgiving because Senator Sessions got in the race. Yeah. And when he got in the race, and he had told me twice that he wasn't going to run. He didn't have a snowball's chance. And then when he got in it, there was no place for me. And so that's the reason why I said it's best for me to just step back and just keep doing what I'm doing as the secretary. And that's what I chose to do. So the thing about those three races that I introduced to you is that somebody's currently in each one of those seats. Oh, yeah. The governor can run for election again if she chooses to. Will is in his first term, so he could run again if he chose to. Yeah. And Senator Shelby's in his sixth term, but he can run again if he wants to. Even though he's 86 and he'll be 87 on May the 6th of next year, he has one sister that's 94 and one that's 91, and they're both doing great. Yeah. So I don't know what he's going to do, but I just have to be open, aware, alert, and prepared for whatever opportunity presents itself to us. So I can't tell you. It's not that I'm trying to ignore your question. Oh, I know. It's that I don't know which one I'm going to do today because I don't know what the options are. Well, let me ask you something else. And everybody would blast me if I didn't ask you this. Okay. How's the governor feel about being called Meemaw Kay? That's not the name she enjoys being referred to by most people. (laughs) (laughs) I I will tell you that she prefers Governor Ivy or she prefers uh, Madam Governor or she prefers Kay. Uh, before she prefers that one, but <laughs> she um, she that's that's not the one she prefers. 
Who got that started? I don't know, but it's been all over the internet. <laughs> I was on the internet the other day when she extended the mask order, and they said, "Well, we got to keep wearing the masks." And Meemaw says we have to, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was—I think it was a state politician that actually retweeted that. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, if you was to run for governor, wait a minute. Let me get back to something. Okay. Let me ask you something. Else. Yeah. Did you see the Project Veritas video that came out on Ilhan Omar? Uh, no, somebody sent it to me and I did not get to watch it. I have had conversations with people about it, but I have not, I have not said she's, they're saying that these people are linked to her and these people are saying in these under undercover videos, paying $800 for a vote. Right. Is that the, is that going to be the outcome when you have universal mail-in voting? Well, I'll say this. There's a lot of things that concern me about some of those members of the squad yeah, and about how they conduct themselves and what they do. And I do not think that these people have the best interest of the United States in their heart. And I know if they do, it's not the United States that I know and love. And it concerns me how they conduct themselves and how they believe our nation should be run. And that is something we have to continue to push back against and fight against if we're going to save this republic. Okay. Well, now i got to get to my local questions. Okay. Now, this guy has asked me to ask this. Now, when you get try to get something done around here, especially locally, our local politicians say, oh, it's Montgomery the reason we can't get nothing done. And you go to Montgomery and you ask, and you say, well, it's because they've never come down here and asked. Who's lying? Well, it depends on what the issue is. If it's an infrastructure project, roads yeah. and bridges, um, gas, power, um, anything related to uh, water concerns that can't be met by the city, then those are usually joint projects. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they can even involve the federal officials. Yeah. But... Obviously, y'all know this without me introducing it. Robert Adderholt mm-hmm. lives 40 miles from here yeah. in Hayleville. Mm-hmm. So it's not like our congressman does not understand the needs of Franklin County or Franklin County's county seat, Russellville. Um, you had one of the most powerful state senators in the history of Alabama serving this community for 30 years in Roger Bedford. So the thing about Roger was that people knew if you wanted something done in Montgomery, you get him to do it. If you want something stopped in Montgomery, get him to stop it. You just have to tell him where you want him to be. He's not in office now, but the structure is still the same. You still have people in decision-making positions that can be and need to be influenced by local and state officials depending on what the issues are what you have to have is a cooperative partnership with people who understand what the needs are of those communities and who are willing to work with those local and state leaders and regional and federal leaders when necessary to solve the problems and to make sure that the issues are the issues that need attention and they're not diversions for different things yeah i that's the that, that's pretty much num- the number one question that I got to ask you. Sure. Was because people were like, you know, there was a guy that asked me about a, a stop sign on a local city street. And he was like, 
well, this guy says it's Montgomery. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Montgomery doesn't care if we make this a, a four-way stop, a six-way yeah, stop, however. Or if you put road bumps in the way. Yeah. You know, no, none of that is Montgomery. Yeah. You know, that, and I'm not indicting this particular um, city council member or county commissioner, depending on where it was. Yeah. But I think it's important to ask the next question. Well, if we got it corrected in Montgomery, what would be the next step? in order to get it done here, locally. Yeah. And what you'll find when you ask the next question is what the real reason is behind not doing it. In the instance that you gave mm-hmm. with a stop sign, mm-hmm. typically it's because some people are for it and some people are against it. And typically it depends on who the people are that are for it and who the people are that are against it as to whether or not it gets done. Yeah. And it's not always about the person being a financial contributor to that particular individual. Yeah. A lot of times it's about I have to sit by them in church or I sit by them in choir or they live next door to me or whatever. And so you have to understand that when you're dealing with those questions and those concerns. Yeah. You married somebody from Phil Campbell. I did. My I, wife I did is from some, Phil Campbell. I did some digging yeah. into you before I she, did this. She spent the night there last night with her mom, <laughs> and then she came to see me in Sheffield today where I spoke up in Cobbert County. Yeah. And now she's gone on back to Tuscaloosa, and I'll go back to Montgomery when I get through with the election observations this afternoon. Oh, you going to be in town all day? I will be for a little while. I uh, can't remember what else I've got after this is over. Off the top of my head, I've got to look at my calendar before I get back in the car. Uh, we was talking about you running maybe for governor. If you did run for governor, would you support a lottery? You know, this is the thing. I think one of the things that our people have indicated is that they want to have a vote on the lottery. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you my position about that. Uh, I'm not for the lottery. I'm not supportive of the lottery. I don't think the lottery is a benefit to anybody. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think the lottery generates resources. The mm-hmm. lottery does not generate resources. What the lottery does is it takes resources that are currently being generated in other areas and it redirects them to a lottery pool. The only way you can create new tax dollars or new wealth is by bringing manufacturing into a community. You can bring manufacturing in, you create new tax dollars. Service industries, processing industries, um, entertainment industries, they do not create new wealth. They transfer wealth from one location to the other. That's what a lottery does is it transfers wealth from one location to the other. Well, another question I got. Would you support decriminalization of marijuana? But now I'm in favor of medical use. I'm not in favor of everybody just going out smoking a joint on the street corner. Right. But I'm in favor of medical use because I know someone, their daughter had seizures. Right. They couldn't get the treatment in Alabama. The doctors here said that she wouldn't survive. They moved the kid to Colorado. and Now she's 10 years older than what they said she would live to be. Man alive. So I support medical. But would you support – I know – I'm. Listen, I know you probably don't support the whole decriminalization. Well, what you have seen over the years in the Alabama legislature is a softening of the stance of the leadership on that issue. You've gone from being completely opposed to marijuana use Mm -hmm. to uh, having 
cannabis introduced in different ways. First as an oil, then as a peel, and then as another type supplement to be used. I think what you'll continue to see is a change in perception about the use of marijuana and how it should be made available and what its benefits could be. That's what I think you're going to see over the next few years. Now, your salary, Secretary of State, it's out there. Anybody can look us up. That's right. $85,248. That's right. How do you feel when you go into these local and see these municipalities, county commissioners, probate judge, making well over $100,000, but their communities aren't growing and they're dying? Right. How does that look when that happens? Well, let me say this about that. I knew what salary was when I ran. Yeah. And even though I feel like the salary is very much under. You're underpaid. You're underpaid. You know, for what what I do. Now, I will say this. I don't believe that everybody's ever held this job is underpaid. And I I think we've got some other statewide officials that, that are in the same category I am in executive offices that are not necessarily underpaid because there's at least one person that has a constitutional office position who never comes to the office. He's never at the Capitol, <laughs> ever. I mean, he's been to the state Capitol during 2020 less than 30 days the whole year, okay? That happens a lot. So that's a problem, but it's a problem that the voters need to deal with. Now, as far as what the salaries are for municipal officers, county commissioners, uh, members of the legislature, uh, city council members, school board members, all those things. They're yeah. set by different groups depending on what the salary is. Mayors and council members set their own. Yeah. And usually what happens in those races is that if the people are dissatisfied with the way that that was done, yeah. they'll speak their, their say at the next election. Yeah. And so people may lose a position or... People may be affirmed in the position, but that typically happens based on how people feel about how it was done. But I think we have some salaries that are pretty high for some elected officials. I'm just saying. Oh, we do. Trust me, we do. We've got some that are way too high. Way too high. I can't get into specifics. (laughs) But, but, okay, You, you are so open. It was easier for me to get you to do my podcast than it is for me to go to City Hall, County Commissioner's Office. Like It's easier for me to talk to people who are on state and national level. Why? I mean... I don't know. I think a lot of times local people feel like they're more vulnerable when they're in environments like this. Yeah. Uh, whereas sometimes I think state people feel like uh, they can be more open you know, I don't treat you or interact with you any differently than I do Anderson Cooper, than I do uh, Shannon Bream on Fox, than yeah. I do Laura Ingram on Fox, uh, Brett Baer on Fox, or anybody else, because you have a job to do. You're making a living. You're trying to provide a service. That's what they're doing. And I try to show you the same level of respect and courtesy that I show them. And I would hope they show me the same level of respect that they might show the president if he's interviewed by them or Senator McConnell or a member of Congress or a governor or whomever or just somebody that they interviewed that they called from rural Iowa. 
But I think that's common courtesy as a citizen to do people that way. Well, they don't show the president any respect on CNN. No. But you are. You're really open, and it was really easy to get you here. Now, I know you've got these races you've got to go check on. Right. And I don't want to hold you for an hour. (laughs) I wish I could get a picture of him smiling like that. People love to see that. But uh, I want to thank you for coming up here and taking your time to to talk to me because I don't know if I ever told you, but the reason I started this and started doing this is because there's a lot of stigmas about Alabama. Oh, sure. And they think we're a bunch – I mean, there's people from New York that I've done these. They think that we're a bunch of redneck, hillbilly, inbreds that, you know, they're just racist. That's That's what they see us as. And they don't realize that 97 or 98% of the state is not like that. That's right. And so that's what I'm trying to, you know, bring forth. And I want to thank you for coming on here and helping me Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. Glad to. Well, that's going to do it for the Secretary of State of Alabama. Mr. Merrill, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be with you. Call me anytime. I appreciate it. We're not controversial. We're just culture.